This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Liberty Mutual Insurance. I'm Monica Ricks in New York. Legendary singer-songwriter David Crosby has died at 81. His wife confirmed the news in a statement to Variety. CBS's Deborah Rodriguez takes a look back at his career. David Crosby wrote and sang many rock and roll classics, first with The Birds. Then when they kicked him out, he co-founded Crosby, Stills & Nash. But by the late 1970s, he was heavily abusing hard drugs and alcohol. That led to a conviction on narcotics and weapons offenses, then five months in prison. I have wasted. But jail helped him start writing music again, as well as kick his cocaine and heroin habits. These are the things. In recent years, he kept busy writing and performing his own works. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Charges are coming for Alec Baldwin in New Mexico. Prosecutors say they plan to file involuntary manslaughter charges against actor Alec Baldwin. It all stems from a 2021 accidental killing during a rehearsal for the low-budget film Rust. Baldwin was holding a gun when it went off. Law professor Jessica Levinson says no one suggests the shooting was intentional. We're talking about a potentially lawful act that you engage in, but you were criminally negligent. That's CBS's Steve Futterman reporting. The Supreme Court still can't figure out who leaked its draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. CBS's Jan Crawford has the latest. They looked at the IT systems and whether or not uh, they could tell if someone had uh, downloaded the copy to like a hard drive or something and taken it home or printer logs to, that could show that someone had printed it out, perhaps taken it home. Uh, and that also revealed uh, nothing. A major showdown is set in Washington over America's finances. CBS's Nicole D'Antonio is on Capitol Hill. Secretary Janet Yellen sent Congress a letter explaining some of the extraordinary measures the department is taking to prevent the U.S. from defaulting on debt, including shifting money between accounts and putting a temporary hold on some federal employee retirement payments and health funds for retired postal workers. President Biden is touring severe storm damage in California today. He's been meeting with people affected by the storms, as well as first responders and leaders in several counties. The State Department says Russia is investigating a U.S. citizen for possible espionage. Spokesman Vedant Patel. We are aware of these unconfirmed reports of an investigation regarding a U.S. citizen in Russia. We're looking into this matter and we'll continue to monitor. American Paul Whelan's been in jail there for four years on espionage charges. This is CBS News. Nobody should have to pay for one-size-fits-all insurance coverage. Liberty Mutual customizes your car and home insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for the needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash free. That's ziprecruiter.com slash free. ziprecruiter.com slash free. 
Canada is revising its rules on booze. Canadian health officials are now warning that no amount of alcohol is good for you, and even drinking at small levels can cause harm. The previous guidelines advised women consume no more than 10 drinks a week, and men have no more than 15. The new standards say the risk is low for those who have two drinks or less a week, moderate for three to six a week, and increasingly high for those who consume seven or more. Risks include high blood pressure and heart disease. Wendy Gillette, CBS News. Best believe I'm still bejeweled when I walk in the room. I can still make the whole place shimmer. The Senate Judiciary Committee plans to get to the bottom of that Taylor Swift Ticketmaster debacle later this year. The hearing will focus on the company's high fees, long wait times, and website failures. Back in November, fans tried buying tickets and got booted from the site after waiting in digital queues for hours. Monica Ricks, CBS News. Paid for by government.com. The 1921 to 1935 silver peace dollar, a true American classic and one of the most iconic silver dollar coins in history. It has been over 85 years since these silver dollars were minted for circulation. But now for a limited time only, full pound bags of original U.S. government struck silver dollars are being released to the public. That's right. You can own a full pound of 1921 to 1935 original silver dollar coins, all in very good collector condition with fully visible dates and mint marks guaranteed. Call 1-800-473-1745 now to secure collector-grade U.S. silver dollars by the pound, minted during the Roaring Twenties and the Great Depression. Plus, receive a bonus American Collectors Pack, valued at over $25, free with every order. Call 1-800-473-1745 now to secure your full pound of United States silver dollars before they... Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. Me and Brad are arguing... Well, Millie's well, standing uh, between us. Brad Williams. Where are you? I'm. I'm uh, trying to be instructive because. Yeah. Well, uh, you because you didn't go through this uh, the last time that there was a school board recall because yeah. the, the rules are different. Doctor Juan Jimenez is going to join us here in a minute. He's the Lacrosse School Board president. But before we do that, because there's a school board election coming up and a primary in less than a month, and then the election in April for four school board seats. We were trying to determine the last time there were that many seats open on the school board for people. Or that many seats up up during one election. Yeah, and this is these are open seats. There's no incumbent in these seats. Because the, the incumbents decided not to run for which these is, four seats. Which is like another stat. How many how many times have, I don't know how often this has happened. Like how many it's, times has it's, four it's rare. open seats? It's and, rare that so many people don't run for another term. And and here we're we're looking back the last time you could remember because this is these are things that you sometimes recall. Yes, if if you get a because or, Brad's got the or uh, or, or had to uh, you know ended up covering right and then you but you're going to remember some of this stuff a little bit better than most. Just, mm, yeah, just based on uh, the Brad mind, the Brad brain, the Brad brain. Um, 1992. And there was a recall. That election was the, of the last school board. recall election of the Lacrosse School Board, and this was on the the busing plan to try to move uh, kids around from one school to another, so the the schools would be uh, socioeconomically balanced, like the the uh, the percentage of kids getting free school lunch or, you know, or discounted lunch would be balanced among different schools, and not everybody liked that idea. Because so. at that time we had. 
we had just uh, maybe the south or the north there side. There were two or three schools that had a much higher percentage of the, the low-income family students than others did, and uh, the school district thought, well, let's do something to change So that. the thought process there was maybe if we, had, if we, if we mix these economic, socioeconomic right. uh, students – uh, maybe they would rub off on each other somehow, or, or, or it would at least, yeah, possibly. And and in that case, it was two new schools were opening at the same time, so they had to figure out. Well, they wanted to uh, fill those schools. Oh, you're throwing another grenade into the mix. There's two yeah. new schools but opening. That's, that's the reason why they had the 92. But we were talking about the, what the difference is between but a school-, school board recall election and a regular school board election. Yeah, so that was the thing we were arguing about. But in 92, they recalled six school in board members. In 92, they're, they're like, as, as there are now, there are nine seats on the lacrosse school board. Yep. Six of the people who voted on the busing plan were they had a petition drive saying we want to run specific, we have a special election to run against these six people and get them off the school board because recall, we didn't like a recall. They want a recall election. Yes. And in that case, two of the school board members kept their seats, but four others were replaced in the school, which was one-on-one elections. Yeah, because that election is different than the election coming up. The election coming up, uh, which is the normal type of election in April, is at large. Yep. We is that we have... Nine people running, right? Normally we have three... Uh, normally there are three every year, three school board seats yep. that are up for election, plus a fourth this year because it was Rob Abraham left the board and Emily Moots came on and she decided not to run. So now there will be four candidates four seats, and you need at least more than twice that number for a primary, which is what we have in February. We'll have nine candidates. One will be eliminated in the February primary, and the eight candidates who continue will go on to the... uh, And and I haven't necessarily figured out. That's something we could ask Dr. Jimenez, is uh, how it works... uh, who gets the three regular seats and who gets the seat that uh, will will be filled for a year? Oh, they, yeah, that is interesting. The, the Emily Moots. Um, when I forget that, you have to run back in here later and say, "Hey, Rick, <laughs> you forgot to ask uh, Doctor Menez." But, that. but but usually when it's when it's the three seats that come up in April, it is everybody runs for those three seats and the top three vote getters get the seats. Yeah, it's almost like a rank choice. And sometimes voting. there aren't you know there aren't six seats. There might be only. Three, four, or five candidates, but it's still the top three vote getters yep. will be will be seated. All right, six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. If you got text, you got a questions. So you remember this recall election better than Brad? Uh, feel free to shoot me a text. Some people probably do. All right, Brad, run away so I can get you into the newsroom. Doctor Juan Jimenez, Lacrosse School Board President, coming up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight. 785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Juan Jimenez is the Lacrosse School Board President. He's also the Associate Dean at Health and Public Safety at Western Tech. I've uh, been doing that eight years. How are you doing, Juan? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Rick? I'm I'm good. Yeah, me and Brad, if you I don't know if you were listening beforehand, but me and Brad were arguing about the nineteen ninety-two recall and how that worked and how that differentiates from the lacrosse school board elections coming up here with a primary in a month and uh, what it would be uh, February, March, three months, we'll have the election for to fill four seats on the board. 
That's right. I mean, well, there's also the primary that is coming up here in February, so I hope people get out to vote then as well. Um, but, you know, the, really the difference is just the fact that in this case we had a resignation. Uh, so we don't have a recall. Thank goodness we don't, we don't have to go through that process. Uh, but, yeah, we've got our typical three seats up every year, and then uh, the fourth seat is to fill the resignation, the um, vacancy left by Rob Abraham. Yeah, and how does that work? Because you, do, who, gets, how, who gets the short straw there? Because that term will be shorter than the, the other terms, which were three-year terms, right? Rob's got, what, one year left on the, the Rob position, the Rob Abraham seat that he left has one year left on that term? That is correct. And so the way it works is the top three vote-getters are the ones that get the full term three years on the school board, and the fourth highest vote-getter will get the short term. All right. So that person, uh, double the work uh, almost, well, maybe triple, because they, they'll have to run again the next year if they want to uh, continue on. How surprised were you to see four school board members, four incumbents here up for re-election just say, no, we're, we're, we're dropping out? I think... I don't know if they, we're all four up for re-election, or did somebody drop out early? No, all four. So Lori Cooper-Stoll, Shondell Spivey, and Brenda Leahy were up for re-election this year. Emily Moot was the one that we appointed to fill uh, the slot until this upcoming election. Oh, that's and then right. she decided not to uh, continue. Yeah, and that's, was that surprising as well? I don't know. How surprised were you that, that all those people decided not to, uh, to run again? I, I guess, um, you know, it... Elected office is, is a challenge, right? I mean, we, the, the goal is to represent the community and to support uh, good work that's happening in public schools. Uh, you know, and, you know, I just saw an article today about the New Zealand pr- uh, Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, uh, who's stepping down, and, you know, she's just like, you know, I've reached a point uh, that I've given as much as I can. Uh, the tank is empty, and I think it's time for somebody else to step in. And I think, you know, it, we'd have to talk to those school board members, but... You know, I, I can re- I can recognize and respect that. Yeah, and she's only thirty seven years old. I think the New Zealand prime. I think she was the youngest ever prime minister. Yeah, she was elected uh, when she was thirty seven. So yeah, she's the she was the youngest. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just so impressed by um, the way she described that. You know, we got to give somebody who's got that full tank uh, the opportunity to to run and fill that slot. So that that was pretty cool to see. A little scary if your tank's empty by 37. What's that job doing to you? Obviously, that's an important job. School board. Uh, school board. <laughs> if you look at the presidents, I mean, everybody walks in with hair that's, that's got color in it. When they leave, it's all white. So, you know, it, that just gives you an indication of how much uh, stress there is in that role. Yeah, and then I think, I think part of her, her, you know, moving on was like we went through a pandemic. So there, th- this probably took a little bit more out of everybody than, than a regular uh, term. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, to mirror the school board, I mean, Shondell and Brenda both came on during the pandemic. They were the first elected officials. You know, Lori was reelected. Um, but during the pandemic. So, yeah. you know, that, that I don't know if that had a piece, but, you know, I, I'm not surprised. It is a it was a challenging uh, position to be in uh, during the pandemic, trying to do the right things for our children uh, in the community. Well, even, you know, you could talk about just the the amount of stress and work that you have to do as a school board member to work through a pandemic and then to work through a referendum that goes on the ballot. That's the biggest in the state to build a new high school. Um, Part of that may be work. But how much of that do you think is like they were worried about public opinion and just, you know, like, okay, obviously the referendum didn't pass. Uh, The the COVID thing was hard enough and, and divisive enough that, you know, that's it. I'm good. 
No, I, you know, I think that each one of those board members recognizes that the, the reason we brought forward the referendum was because we needed the community's input. And so we have to put something forward that we feel is going to uh, do right by our community, do right by our students, and move our school district forward, which is why we are in the roles that we are. Uh, and so, you know, if the community says, no, that's not the right idea, well, now we have that community's input, and now we take that information and we move forward. So, no, I don't think it ha- that had any impact on the decision at all uh, for, the, for the members to step down. I really think that they recognize how important uh, it was to gather community input, how important it was to put that on the ballot for the community to make the decisions. And it's not fair to ask you what their opinions are and why they stepped down. I could go ask them. I don't know. Can they answer me right now, or do we have to wait until after the school board is done? Because there's a school board members, except for you, the president, can only talk to the media. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, uh, am happy for the school board members to you know make their choice if they want to speak to the media or not. Um, you know, but I, I would definitely say that, you know, in this case, because it is a personal uh, perspective of, you know, why they would decide to run or not run, I, you know, I feel like they should be able to have that voice. And part of the reason why I had, and I'll just say again, the Lacrosse School Board President, Dr. Juan Jimenez, joining us. Uh, part of the reason I had you on is because we're going to get four new school board members. So I thought this would be a good time to kind of to break down a little bit what it takes. Uh, how long have you been on the school board, Juan? Uh, so this will be um, so April will be our reorganization meeting. That's when the new board sits. So that will be the start of my fifth year uh, serving on the school board. And um, it, you know, did any surprises because uh, over those over those years, like wow, I didn't know the school board. You know, we were going to be in charge of this, or this is a, a, a you know this thing takes a, is a big responsibility. Any particular part of being on the school board that surprised you? Not, not for me personally. Um, you know, my history is a K-12 uh, teacher. I taught in public schools. I taught in private schools. I was a union representative. So I've seen K-12 education from many different angles. And so uh, in each one of those roles, I got to interact with the school board members. I got to interact with the administration and uh, see the inner workings, so to speak. So I was not surprised with with what goes on on a school board, but for somebody who doesn't have that same background or that same experience, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go, what do you mean that this is something that we don't deal with? Or what do you mean that this is something we do deal with? Uh, Why is it that, you know, I can't, uh, you know, call up a principal and, and, and call them out on something that they're doing? uh, Because that's not our role as a school board, right? I mean, so that's it. It's a much different world uh, if you don't come from an education uh, perspective, and so there's there's a lot to learn. Yeah, and I just and I thought it'd be a good time just to kind of maybe add some light to that. So uh, I just wrote a couple of questions out. What kind of commitment sure. does it take? What kind of commitment does it take to be a lacrosse school board member? Uh, well, I, I would say that it takes a, a good deal of commitment. First, that you're committed to public education. Second, that you are committed to this community. And third, that you're committed to do right by the students that we serve. Uh, and th- those are important commitments that you, you cannot skimp on any one of those three. Uh, you have to be a representative of everybody in the community, whether you agree with them or not, because everybody's voice is important and valuable. And hearing all perspectives leads us to better conclusions. So uh, it, it is a, it is a, a hard commitment uh, in some respects because uh, you're going to hear all sorts of perspectives. 
But the other piece is also the time commitment. I mean, it's not just school board meetings, but there are meetings outside. Like I got the uh, the pleasure to attend a, an art show uh, where some of our elementary school students were, were showcasing their talent. And let me tell you what amazing talent we have in this district. Uh, this, this, I'm lucky that we have a school board that recognizes that, and we will be choosing each one of us gets assigned to school, uh, any, you know, uh, elementary, middle, high school, and we get to choose a piece of artwork that then gets displayed in the school board room for the next academic year. So uh, kudos to the school district that focuses on students, focuses on their work, focuses on the fine arts. Uh, not every school district does that. Yeah, what other things do you do to interact with, uh, I don't know, you're, you said each board member has assigned a couple of different schools. What, what kind of things are you doing in the schools, you know, aside from picking the best art? Sure. I mean, well, that's, that's one piece, right? Uh, each one of us gets assigned uh, a school to do that. But we also uh, do a uh, linkage with the school uh, employees, and so we do a three-year rotation of schools, so we get to every school in the course of three years okay. uh, so that we can hear the perspectives of the, of the uh, employees and what's going on internally, and that helps, uh, helps us make uh, better decisions uh, when, when issues come up to the board table. So uh, we have that. Um, obviously, we work with the district administration pretty heavily on a day-to-day, um, well, I shouldn't say day-to-day, but um, on, a, on, a, on a recurring basis where uh, we are looking to get their input on what's going on. So uh, I think that uh, in, the, the, in my four years, uh, four years finishing, I think that we have seen a lot of change but we've also seen a lot of positive uh, interactions, a lot of positive change uh, that is moving forward. And I'm, I'm just excited to see what the next uh, years will bring. When you, when you do that, when you talked with employees at different schools, like you said, you, you get a different batch of schools each term. Uh, what kind of things are you hearing? Is, is, is there a main theme? Is there a, like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even think about this thing uh, that maybe a teacher or, or a, another staff member has, has come to you with? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we hear a lot about what's going on internally, and, you know, some of those issues uh, deal with uh, trying to support all of our students. Um, you know, we hear uh, similar themes from time to time. Uh, you know, how do we support all of our students, especially those who have the, the, the biggest needs, uh, those who might have uh, special needs in our school district and are, may not be receiving the, you know, what we can provide, you know, we would love to provide the ideal, but we can't provide that. So how, you know, can you help us ensure that we are providing the best um, solutions possible? Uh, so, you know, we get some of that. We also hear uh, the positivity. And I would say every single building I've been at in my four years, the, the highest rating that we hear is that we are so grateful to be in a school district with the people that we work with because everybody is committed to students. Everybody's committed to ensuring that we give the best education possible. And I'm so grateful to all of our employees for doing the work that they do. I mean, it would be weird if somebody wasn't. You'd, you'd probably have to call them out on that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, we would we would have a conversation. But, I mean, I, I even, even on the worst days, I think that, you know, the faculty are still committed, even though this job is, you know, I've been in education for 20 years, has become harder and harder and harder every year. And as you've heard, uh, across the nation, there has been uh, challenges in filling teacher roles and filling substitute roles. Uh, we de- desperately need substitutes to support uh, the needs of our students when, when faculty are out due to illness or other reasons. 
So, yeah, it's become a much harder job. And, again, I, I, kudos to our employees, all of our employees, from the teachers to the custodians to the food service to our administration to our educational assistants. I mean, everybody who helps a child reach their career and academic goals is definitely, you know, a high, uh, just I, I have so much respect for them. You better hope you named everybody there, Juan. Otherwise, that one that one group is going to be mad at you. Uh, this Doctor Juan, you're right, and that's why I try not to. I try to just focus on employees. But you're right. I hope I didn't miss one either. Doctor Juan Jimenez is the Lacrosse School Board President. He's the Associate Dean of Health and Public Safety at Western Tech as well. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the school board and the responsibilities of the board, as we have potentially. Well, we will. We will have four new members of the school board in about four months, I think. Um, but also, right. I want to talk about the referendum a little bit, the the, the building of a new high school, the, that referendum didn't pass, so where do we go from here? Uh, Brad's got to do the news, and my dog just left the studio, so i got to go chase her down. We'll be back. <laughs> All right, sounds it's good. It's new year, so no- All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Um... Let's see here. Look, Dr. Juan Jimenez is, I got to turn Buster. It's hard to listen to Buster Rhymes and try to talk. Uh, sorry, Buster Rhymes. I got to turn you off. I, and then I'm trying to read text too. Cause I, the whole break I was, I was chasing my dog and now she ran away again because Tracy's out there eating a burrito and she wants burrito. And <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's fine. She's community dog when she comes in here anyway. But, um, and then I was trying to look at some of the the, the, the text. Uh, Bill texted in, perhaps the school board members stepped down because the school board president hmm, makes you think. I don't know. Juan, they're saying that you made them step down. That's what somebody's implying here. Um, but, we, but we're going to have four new school board members coming up. And I want to talk about the, the aftermath of the referendum to build a new high school on the south side. What, what, the aftermath of that, what we're going to do forward. But with four new school board members, is that going to be a giant part of their responsibility, deciding uh, what to do next? I would say that it's the responsibility of all the board members, no matter what year it is. Uh, you know, it was part of my responsibility when I first stepped on the board back in, what was that, 2018? Um, you know, it's, it's school finances. We can't pr- deliver quality education without having the right finances, right? I mean, we, we got we to gotta pay staff. We gotta um, ensure that we have the right facilities. We gotta ensure that all of our bills are paid. We gotta provide adequate supports for students who need uh, larger supports or more supports than others. It, it all it all gets together in finances, which referendum is a part of that. It's one lever that we can use in order to ensure we have adequate funding. Do the school board members that even yourself, when you first ran and got involved, do, do they know? A big part of this is just going to be crunching numbers and learning how the schools are funded because um, I've tried to cover a school board meeting and it was one of these where you just happen to be all numbers and and finances and and I was like, I don't even know what I'm watching. And then I had uh, Sam in the newsroom. I had her mistakenly. I didn't know. But I'm like, Sam, can you cover the school board meeting tonight? Because you have one, I think, every other Monday. And she texts right. me mid, mid-school board meeting, and she goes, I have no idea what they're talking about. It's all about money and numbers and this and that. Um, I don't know. Is that a surprise to some school board members? And, and then how, how much work does it take to just get up to speed on, on that if you're just not accustomed to, 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 to knowing any of that stuff? 
I mean, school school finance is one of the most complex topics out there. Um, you know, I've been in education 20 years. I'm still learning about school finance and how it operates and how it works. Um, you know, it is it is tough. I, I appreciate our school district and our school board uh, because we do cover budgets in pieces over the course of the entire year so that when we get to the October uh, budget meeting, we will have already discussed all of those pieces in snippets so that we can do a little bit deeper dive. Uh, and then, you know, we, we can figure out what, what's going on. But it, again, it does take a lot of work. Um, you know, the way schools are funded in Wisconsin is challenging, to say the least. Um, it doesn't necessarily follow logic sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of different complex variables involved. Uh, but if you were to look at, if I remember correctly, if you were to look at the school finance sheet uh, that, that school districts use, I mean, it literally is one sheet, but it is not an easy formula to follow. When a new school board member comes on, when they're voted in and they're, they're a rookie at this, or maybe they're, maybe they're not a rookie, are there workshops or like lessons or like, uh, you know, like, like orientations that they should, they have to go through or they should go through or are provided to them just so they can kind of uh, educate themselves on some of the responsibilities of being a new Absolutely. school board member? Absolutely. Um, so we have board meetings, as you mentioned, every other Monday, pretty much. I mean, sometimes uh, we skip a, a Monday for uh, certain reasons, like Fourth of July, Martin Luther King. Um, but we do also have workshops, and those workshops are really opportunities for the school board members to dig deeper into topics. Some of those topics could be uh, special education and high-performance learning. Uh, those topics could be um, facilities. They could be uh, tied to finances. They could be about our governance culture and how we operate as a school board. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunities for learning and growth and support uh, on our school board, and so I appreciate that we have those available to our school board members uh, so that they can uh, try to learn on the job, so to speak, but also bring their perspective and the perspective of the community. We're talking with Lacrosse School Board President Dr. Juan Jimenez, who's also the Associate Dean and Health of Pub- the Associate Dean of Health and Public Safety at Western Tech. Um, all right, Juan, when when the new school board comes to light in April. Um, I think this is going to be on the Monday's school board meeting agenda, but there is no agenda online yet, so I couldn't find it. Um, obviously, we didn't have uh, the referendum to pass uh, to build a new high school didn't pass. So um, as what are the next steps? When are we going to start to hear about the next steps? I mean, is that going to start as soon as Monday? Well, so a, a good, good question. I mean, so let me let me throw some numbers at you to just try to um, provide some light to what happens now. Um, we're looking at um, declining enrollment, and this is not a secret. We talked about this during the referendum, um, you know, linkages and, and meetings that we had. Uh, we have been averaging a loss of 80 students per year. And so every time we lose uh, student population, that is a decrease in the amount of funding that we are provided as a school district. Yeah, so, is it like 11,000? Isn't it like 11,000 a kid or something like that? Roughly speaking, yes. So there's piece one. Piece two, um, I don't think it's a secret that we are in high inflation times, right? I mean, this is 
This is unparalleled since the 70s to see inflation at a rate uh, as high as it is currently. But if we were to even just take a moderate inflation rate of, say, 3% in expenses, because as we all know, all of our bills go up. That's just the way life works. And then if we talked about the state funding, and, you know, typically we have averaged about $130 per student per year uh, in state funding as an increase, but that's not true all the time. Again, it's an average. So in the last biennium, in the last two years, we received zero state funding increase per student per year. So uh, there are times where the, the state will just not give us any funding. So given those three things, uh, declining enrollment of about 80 students per year, a minimal inflation rate of about 3%. Right now, I think it's high. It's like 6 or 7%. And um, with an average state increase of $130 per student per year, here are the numbers that we're facing in the next six years. We are seeing, we're going to see at least a roughly a $5 million budget deficit in fiscal year 23-24. We are going to continue to see budget deficits given those numbers through the next six years, and in 28-29, that budget deficit is going to be over $10 million per year. Cumulatively, if you add all of the budget deficits up over those six years, we're talking roughly $46 million in budget deficits. That is the reality of where our school district is. So there are only really uh, a few places you can look to try to see what we can do in order to uh, deal with a budget deficit. And one of the largest pieces of any budget of any business or organization is um, salaries and benefits. Another one is facilities. We do not want to focus on losing quality staff that we have. We never want to see that. So we want to keep the changes away from people which means facilities. That's why we went and asked the community for a capital referendum to try to combine the schools because we need to find efficiencies, and there are efficiencies to be found. But given that the, the community did not want that last uh, referendum, we're going to have to look at other options. And so uh, the board will be uh, having more conversations on Monday about what are some next steps forward. And, and you know, could that be uh, a referendum coming up? We, you know, so the board will be having those conversations and, and we'll see where uh, we land after Monday. With uh, declining enrollment and you're, you're losing about a $11,000 a kid, but then you do have less kids to teach is, and then you're talking about, uh, you know, making the school smaller, the district smaller, getting rid of some of the buildings, wouldn't that also add? To, wouldn't that also coincide with having smaller staff because you have less students, and therefore some of the some of the salaries would go away? Uh, great question. I mean, so uh, you would think so, but we have, um, for example, um, in our capacity of our buildings. Is, is another question. So, for example, at the middle school level, uh, we are at about 50% capacity at each one of our middle schools, which means that uh, we're, then let's say that there's 100 students that could attend one middle school, we're only seeing 50 in that right. building. So, there's a lot of extra room there, but that doesn't mean that the students still don't need 
uh, a PE teacher, that they don't need a music teacher, that they don't need a social studies teacher, an English teacher, right? We still have to provide everything that the state requires we provide for a general education curriculum for our students. So the the problem is not um, as much this idea that, well, because we're losing students, we should be seeing staff declining at the same rate. It's that we're losing students, but not all in one building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's small uh, pockets here and there, and so you still need to have the staff to provide the curriculum that is required by the state and to ensure that we have the same high-quality education we've come to expect here in La Crosse. So it, it's, it's, a complex, uh, it's a complex question uh, and a complex solution. Yeah, but it would, would that coincide with uh, as soon as you start consolidating buildings, then maybe you would? Because if you have one gym teacher at one middle school and another gym teacher at another middle school, now you consolidate, you would get rid of one of the gym teachers, right? Well, but again, you know, you have, you have to also be careful because we don't want to have one gym teacher with 75 students at once. Well, they right? just that play a big game. Adequate uh, it's, just the, so it's just the big game. You want to be careful, frisbee. and it would happen over time. Yeah. I mean, that's just one huge ultimate Frisbee game that they play. Yeah, well, that would be fun. But, you know, again, I mean, I would love <laughs> it, to see any, anybody have 75 middle schoolers. To try it, to corral at one time. I mean, it wouldn't be fun at all. Also, I'm sorry to all the, the f- physical education teachers out there. Um, they're punching their radio, as I call them, gym teachers. They hate that. I know that for a fact. Um, yes. Okay, so the 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 next Monday's meeting, you're going to start talking about consolidation again, right? Or referendums. And, and part of that conversation will be consolidation. Are there any other aspects to that? To, because essentially all these conversations – hover around how are we going to pay the te- how are we going to pay for the schools right well it's uh, it's even more than that in my opinion it's how do we use taxpayer dollars judiciously we don't want to take our taxpayer dollars and not use them in a way that makes the most sense and so you know when you hear that you know we have some buildings that are you know close to 50% capacity you know we need to start thinking about well it do we want to spend taxpayer dollars keeping the lights on in those buildings, or do we want to make sure that not only do we have capacity in those buildings and combining you know, student populations into one place, that also allows us to offer different types of educational opportunities for students because uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in a K-12 or in a higher ed institution, you, know, you need a minimum number of students to run a section of a course. And so if you only have two or three students, that's not really uh, an effective use of taxpayer dollars to offer that section. But if we could combine schools, let's say, and have 13 students who want that same course, now it makes more sense. And so, you know, the, the board has always been focused on ensuring that we are using taxpayer dollars very well, because that is what we are required to do, but also what we should also do. This, this is we're taxpayers too, right? So we want to make sure that we're doing justice to our community members. We're speaking with Dr. Juan Jimenez. He's the lacrosse school board president. I'm getting a text here from libertarian guy and he says private schools figure it out and have a whole lot less money to work with. Why can't public education figure it out? Well, uh, great question. What I would say there is, you know, some private schools are not required to, um, provide special education services. Uh, some private schools, and I'm not going to say all, I want to say all, uh, but we, you know, the school district, the public school district pays for the busing. Uh, so, you know, 
when it comes to special needs at the private schools, usually it's the public school that has to provide those services to the private schools. And sometimes we're not seeing um, that those students within the public schools, but yet the taxpayers have to pay for those services in the public school budget. So it is a very complex answer to that question. I appreciate it, Libertarian Guy, but, you know, I, I, again, I would go back to let's talk about the financing and how that works, because as we fund the vouchers in this, uh, in this state, you are pulling money away from the public schools to the private schools. So you are discounting the uh, public school students and, and reducing the amount of funding available for those students, especially when the public schools are required to provide education to everybody that crosses our threshold. Do private schools have to do private schools have to disclose how much money you know I don't know they get a donation or they you know we we use this much money on our yearly budget uh, that's a great question i I've, I've not um, I've not delved deep into the public or excuse me the private school funding uh, mechanisms and how they operate so I can't answer that question but what I can tell you is uh, if you listen to the state legislature talking about school funding you will hear that they want to increase uh, the private school vouchers. Well, anytime you increase private school voucher money, that means you are taking that money away from our public school students. So if you want to maintain a strong school district of lacrosse, then uh, that is a challenge when you have these private school vouchers where the money is going uh, sometimes to the eastern side of the state more uh, than the western side of the state. Well, and then when that happens, then you guys have to go to referendum to ask for more money. Well, the state legislature back in 2011, um, well, it's probably even earlier than that, um, you know, basically the only option we have as public school districts uh, to try to increase our income in order to pay our expenses is to go to referendum. Um, You know, there is only so much of a pie. There is a state aid formula, and so that state aid is almost like the speed limit. You cannot cross this line. That That is a, the total amount you can get, and that state aid is made up of taxpayer dollars and uh, funding from the, from the state. And so the more uh, the state provides for public education, the less we ha- uh, taxpayers have to pay, which is great, but you have not increased the amount of money that the school district has to operate. So, again, uh, I'm, I'm probably making people's heads spin on this, but it is it is really complex and it is well, really challenging to try to provide high-quality education when you're not getting the, the appropriate funding in order to do it. Well, I think anyone in Alaska for sure would know this because they devoted for two, they passed two referendums to increase their own property taxes to pay for uh, different aspects of the Alaska school, uh, which is probably what you're going to talk about on Monday's school board meeting, right? Uh, that That's one option for lacrosse? Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, what, what do we do from here? How do we, how do we move forward? Because we cannot, as, as school board members, look at uh, the financial picture where we're looking at potentially a you know, $46 million cumulative budget deficit over six years and, and not provide solutions. That is why we are here, and that is what we're going to do. We're going to try to provide solutions that make sense. Um, and, and then we'll also part of that conversation, just be real quick, uh, community engagement. We're going to have more of these public info sessions that people can come and voice their opinions. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm a, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. My assumption is that, you know, we, we got a lot of feedback mm-hmm. right from the, from the previous referendum. We have a lot of input that we sought out and, and got, yeah. um, you know, 
think that we will definitely want to get some more input. But, you know, again, uh, we are trying to take all of the information we were provided from the last referendum and try to find a way forward that we feel the community will be able to support. Is Superintendent uh, Aaron Engel going, no, no, because he had to run all those information sessions. I'm sure that got uh, pretty, pretty, just a, a very busy for him. Well, you know, I think that he would agree, and I think our board members would agree that, you know, we were grateful for the feedback. You know, we appreciated people who showed up uh, and tried to provide um, all aspects of, you know, why they would vote or not vote for the referendum. And, again, uh, we, we took that input. We always try to take as much input as possible, and then we will move forward with that input. All right. That's Lacrosse School Board President Dr. Juan Jimenez. Thanks a lot, Juan. Hey, thank you, Rick. I appreciate you, and uh, hope you have a good night. You too.